When you are determined and committed to doing something, I promise you the biggest battle that you're going to face is your flesh. Happens every single time because our flesh rejects commitment. It absolutely rejects commitment. You think about why is that? And I, I, I thought about that even afterwards when I was even thinking through what, what we spoke on and things this morning. Thought, why is it that our flesh is so reluctant or so hesitant of commitment or anything? And I thought of this. Number one, our, our flesh is lazy. Now, you guys might not want to admit that, but that is absolutely true. Our flesh is lazy. The other day, uh, I, I, we were going to have to get up and work in the yard. We were on vacation, and our, our yard has not been mowed. And I told the boys, I said, when Friday comes, guys, or Monday, I can't remember the day that we were doing it. I said, when that comes, I say, you guys know that we have to get out and do that. I woke up, and it was pouring down rain. And I should have been, oh, man, I can't get the grass. And I was like, sweet, I can't get the grass. Our, our flesh is lazy. It's just, it's just the truth of the matter. And uh, I, I remember Joe got on this big kick of working out. Joe Catroni got out. Uh, he, he joined a gym and he was doing really good. And I started thinking, man, I need to do something. I looked at Joe and I was like, Joe, man, you got to help me get in the shape, man. Because I said, man, I, I, I'm, I'm slacking. I'm getting behind. And, and Joe came up to me and said, dude, I'll help you. He goes, I'll show you what I'm doing. I'll, I'll bring you to the gym. I said, man, I don't know how to use all those machines and that. He said, dude, I, I've, I've got your back. I'll help you out. And he said, all right, meet me at the gym. We'll do this. I said, well, what time? He said, tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. I said, 6 a.m. in the morning? I I said, we're going to go to a gym and work out at 6 a.m. And he said, Tony, if we're going to get there, do a full workout, go home and do this, all this stuff. I said, dude, that's crazy, 6 a.m. I mean, my mind was like, get in shape, get ripped abs. You know, that's what my mind was saying. My flesh was saying, tell him no, you know, I don't want to get up at 6 or 5.30 to get to a gym to, you know, work out with a bunch of meatheads that get high off the, the idea of lifting weights. I, I didn't want to do it. Our flesh is lazy. Guys, if, if somebody comes up to you and, you know, it's, it's just the way it is and says, hey, uh, I'm going to be moving next Friday. Can you help me out? Your flesh is going to be like, say no, say no. Our flesh is lazy. But I tell you, it's not only that our flesh is lazy, it's that our flesh is fearful. We will say no to commitment over the idea in our mind we fear failing. We fear messing things up. I I can prove it. Somebody comes up to you and says, why don't you help me with my Sunday school class? And in your mind, you're thinking, say no to doing that because you're not good enough. You don't have those skills or abilities or whatever it is. You're not that type of guy. And I'll tell you, God wouldn't call us to do whatever if we were not that type of guy. God equips us to do this. The other disciples did not get out of the boat like Peter did because of fear. Man, they, they were terrified of the storm when Jesus came up to them. They thought that he was a spirit or a ghost and they were a fear. But I'll tell you, we have to face our flesh. Deny, so I mean, say, deny yourselves. So let me put it this way. Deny your laziness. All of us. You want to experience greater things in your life? Whether And I know I, I use the uh, exercise illustration, but let's just be honest. It's one that is for dreams of getting in shape and doing better. It's something that we all have. And God says, if you're going to, have to, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. So put that word in there. You're going to have to deny your laziness. You're going to have to deny your fears. You're going to have to deny yourself and the ideas that you have in those things. It's just, just what we have to do. But then we also talked this morning about not only 
And so the opposition and the choices that we have to make. But there's a commitment to be made. And guys, I, nobody in here is going to deny this. But this culture is, is horrible with commitment. Horrible. And it's like, I'll be there. I'll do this. I'll do that. And they don't show up. I was, oh man, I forgot all about it. It's like, when? You committed. You said you would. And, and the thing is, the whole example of Christ was he was a man of his word. He came, he did, he accomplished, he finished and I, I love the, the, the message of Paul when he said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. What do you mean? When God called me on the road to Damascus, I finished it until God called me home. I'm going to tell everybody here, you're not finished until God takes you home. And, and I hear that kind of stuff and say, well, let the next generation. or let, It's like, well, where, where's that good example? Man, it should be when we read... In Judges chapter 1, you, you read that God was taking the seniors to give the example to the younger because of them setting the example of let us lead you what God has done. Man, don't give up on the younger generation and say, hey, I've done my part, it's your part. That's, that can't be. We're all in this together. It's a matter of setting the example. Now, there's some things that older can do that younger can't and vice versa, but the thing that we have to get in our minds is that we're all in this together. But man, we've got to regain the concept of commitment to this culture. We've got to. Or else it's going to be that where people commit to a ministry and they don't show up. Or they commit to being a deacon and they don't show up. They've lost that. There's a, a story that I heard growing up or an example that I heard. Of the difference between the chicken and the pig when it comes to breakfast. And you guys know this. Chicken and pig were walking down the road together and they pass a sign that for a local advertisement that said breakfast special ham and eggs for 2.95. The chicken said, "Well, that's a that that's our contribution to society, I guess breakfast food." And the pig replied, "For you it might be a contribution, for me it's total commitment." Total commitment. And I said I said this in the video and like I said the video is done to where everybody in every place that they're at gets on the same page with this. But the idea of when Christ gave the commandment or gave himself as a sacrifice it wasn't halfway it wasn't halfway and a lot of us want to be in halfway we want one leg on this side one leg on this side. and God said you can't do that no man that loves God can serve two masters and he says either he will love the one and hate the other but I'll tell you no man can serve two masters and that that's so, the commitment when you got when we get it in our minds it can't be half in it's all in him. That was the example of the cross. Gave the example. The cross was, I'll tell you, it's all or nothing. Nobody halfway died on a cross. It, it, that, that never was there whatsoever. And he gave that example of take up your cross. The principle that he, we were given through this was total commitment. All the way. Now you say, well, it kind of bothers me. Well, the idea that Christ says, take up your cross and follow me, and i got to take this instrument of death, you know, it's like, yeah, it's not, not, not going to, you know, be the best sales pitch for getting people committed. But let me take you to the New Testament without you turning there and remind you what that commitment was for us. In Romans 12, 1, he said, when he, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That was the cross that he, he died to set us free. And then in our freedom and our liberty and the grace that he gives us, he calls us out to be a living sacrifice. Which means that every day of my life, I'm taking up the cross, but I get to do it in the life that he's given me. 
And at the end of it, he said, which is holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He said, you living your life as an everyday sacrifice for God is just your reasonable service. Today, when we walk into churches and we see the cross, it's a focal point. You know why? Because the cross was a symbol of something that changed us and rescued us. And I thought about that when it comes to us. Do you realize that that symbol of Christ and his commitment to the Father was a symbol of salvation to others? And when God takes us and calls us to a place of commitment, whether it was Moses when he called Moses at that that burning bush, and he said, Moses, go. And Moses said, I'll go. You know what that was? He was committing to the cause of Christ that was going to reach people for the glory of God. The cross was a symbol of that. Every example we have in Scripture is an example of that. But let me tell you, the things that we commit to in church whether it's driving a bus or working in a class or helping people in recovery, whatever, you're not just committing to a ministry. You're committing to the ministry and the mission of rescuing people the way that the cross did. Commitment makes a difference. Faithfulness makes a difference. And the lack of commitment and the lack of faithfulness does the opposite. It, it, It robs, it hurts all those that affects when somebody is unfaithful or uncommitted, you, you hear about a marriage that falls apart and says, well, they weren't committed. They weren't faithful. Oh, man, that's a sense of tragedy. And you just sit there and say, man, I would never want to be married to somebody that was uncommitted. You know those words. I would never want to be married to somebody that was unfaithful. It's nowhere I'm going with this. God looks on at us as the church and says, well, are you willing to be committed? Or would Christ write us off and says, Know you not that your friendship with the world is enmity with God. God's saying, you're, you're tangled up like we talked about in the video. You got caught up in this. And you, you, you can't serve both matter, masters in this. Now, I've used the Bible and these stories and the characters throughout this entire series of, of different people in Hebrews 11. And, and I, I'm going to ask you guys to turn back to Hebrews 11, but we're closing this out. This is the last night this morning was the last morning message of the decide uh, things, the six decisions to make. Decide to commit. Tonight, I want to give you the blessings of commitment. The blessings of commitment. I want to walk you through Hebrews chapter 11 again. It's the same passage that I used last week when we said decide to exercise faith. And we went through all these stories. But the thing that I started thinking about is we, we talk about being used by God. You think about how that comes across and says, do you want to be used by God? It's like, well, yeah, I want to be used by God. Well, how am I going to be used by God? God's going to use you to deliver the message to people overseas through a missionary. God's going to use you as a Sunday school teacher. God's going to use you as a bus worker. God's going to use you in recovery, whatever it is. God's going to use you, and that's great. I mean, it is. It's awesome. Just to think of being used by that. But you know what? If that's as far as we take it, we really cheapen the deal of what we're talking about see they were used in a great way but we forget about also what they experienced as they were being used so let me show you blessing number one blessing number one is experience god's greatness experiencing god's greatness let me give you an example of this hebrews eleven seven. hebrews eleven seven. we'll go we're just going to read down through here as we go now now by faith noah being warned of god of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark and saving his house, by the which he condemned the world and he became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. 
I mean, obviously, we could go in and show the commitment. God called him. He said, yes, Lord. I looked it up because I was curious. And uh, you guys know how long it took them to build the ark? I went, well, 120 years was the time frame within the two periods of time. But within that, uh, Ken Ham, which is kind of one of the master gurus of Answers in Genesis that has that, said that he said their guessments are 55 to 75 years. Now, let me ask you guys, if you had people scorning you, laughing at you, mocking you, if it was 55, 65, 75 years, I'd say that's a pretty hardcore commitment. Now, I'm going I'm to raise the bar on this and tell you how hardcore of a commitment this was. He did that building the boat with his kids. I, obviously, none of you have kids, so or you've never worked on a project. <laughs> I, I, can, I can pull out my hair, and there's no comment needed there, uh, just by trying to do a, a board game for 30 minutes with my kids. Noah built an ark the size of a cruise ship, using his kids for 55, 75 years, committed to the calling of God that God called him to do this. Now, we can obviously say that this, uh, the ark was his cross that he carried or however you want to look at it but don't overlook what it says in this you talk about what he experienced of the greatness of God in the middle of that verse it says to the saving of his house to the saving of his house he said well God used it and the animals were saved well praise God I mean I'm not down downing that at all all the animals were saved praise God that's cool and said, God used them to show the promises, and we talk about the rainbow and all that. Do you guys ever just stop to imagine being in those stories? Have you ever imagined what it was like, all the work, and it pays off, and you finish the project? And to get on the ark, and God shut the door. And all of a sudden, you hear the thunder. You hear the lightning, and you hear all the noise going out. And, the, and all of a sudden, when that boat began for the first time to raise up off the ground because of the water raising up to that level. But then I've mentioned this before, one of the most horrifying sounds, I guarantee you, that they heard was not the rain, not the thunder, and not the lightning, and all those things going outside, but it was all the people knocking on the side of the boat trying to get in before the water got too deep. The people understanding at that point that that ark was more than just a radical idea, but it was a man committed to provide salvation and hope for everybody, and they rejected it. But then I thought about the inside of that ark. Of Noah being there, gathered in the middle of wherever he's at. And his wife and his children gathered around and sitting there praising God. That through the act of his commitment, that he experienced the greatness of God through his salvation of his family. You think it's an accident that in the middle of that, that God just dropped in and says, to the saving of his house? He said, well that carried on the generations and that carried on the animals and all that. It did. But at the same time, a man named Noah was able to testify and say, let me tell you how great my God is. My kids are alive and saved because of what God did. And every time we step out on faith, every time we commit to a task, we are committing to experience the greatness of God. All of these stories are filled with that. Hebrews 11.8, and you say, well, this story was about Abraham. No, this story was about experiencing the greatness of God in his family. By faith, Abraham, when he was called out into a place that he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whether he went. 
You guys know the rest of the story of what happened, that God saved this child. How many of you could come back and say, man, I've experienced through my commitment the hand of God working in my family? I'm talking about the blessings of God. I'm telling you about the real blessings of God. And Thank God if you can ever come back and say, well, I'll tell you about the blessings of God. Man, I got a great job and I got a great retirement. I got a great income and I got a great car. Great. All those things are going to fade away. But the things that we're talking about where God said, let me tell you about the blessings that I gave them was far beyond any treasure on this earth. It was far valuable than anything in any job, in any retirement, in any car that you could ever buy. God said, I blessed them. I blessed them. And it was all the greatness of God. I thought about this. Put it, put it into real terms and thinking. We talked about how God used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you imagine standing in the fire furnace? We always tell it from the perspective of the, the, all the, the people that threw them in, you know, uh, you know the, the enemy and looking in at the good guys. And they said, did we not throw in, you know, three guys, but I see four. The one looks like the likeness of God. And, you know, we, we tell it from that perspective. Stop for a minute as Christians and go inside the fiery furnace. Imagine being thrown in there and them turning on the heat and them bracing and thinking, guys, this is it. Guys, I don't regret one day or one moment standing for God and serving God. Guys, they're turning on the heat. I love you guys. I love you too. Hey, is it just me or is it not getting hot in here? Guys, is, is it just me or I see the flames, but I can't feel it. And then you, you can say, well, you don't know. I don't know. But I can tell you that the, somebody in the likeness of God was standing with them. I don't know. Did God talk to him? Did, did God say, guys, I'm with you? Did God put his arms around him? Did, did God protect him himself? What happened? You say, I don't know. You're right. I don't know. But I do know this. God was in the fire with him. That's the part I do know. And I do know that they were able to walk out of that fire and be able to literally say, I experienced the greatness of God. Amen. You say commitment. Yeah, it's this and serving and giving and going and all this. And God says, is that all you see it for? Every one of these guys got a front row seat to the greatness of the almighty God. How cool would it be to be Elijah and to stand back and tell that story and say, guys, I got my eyebrows singed that day. To be able to be that close to the fires that fell from heaven. How cool would it be to be so close to the walls of Jericho that you got the dust of the walls when it fell in your hair and be able to come back and say, oh my goodness, how amazing is our God? Because that's the thing. You're talking about the blessings of commitment, the blessings of follow God. Every one of these people experience a story. One of my, one of my favorite things, and Joe and Dave uh, used to give these examples too, Pastor Denoff would uh, take us out to lunch a lot of times on Monday, and it would be Chinese. Hoonan Gourmet, Mrs. Denoff. Mrs. Denoff knows that place very well. And we'd go to Hoonan Gourmet, and we'd sit there. And it was especially cool when people like uh, Wally Williams and those guys would come in, and they would sit around. And you know what they would do? All of a sudden, one of them would tell a story, and the other one would tell a story. And Wally Williams told stories about flying a plane where he got caught in a storm and he's going over this hill and, and, you know, they couldn't see the runway and he's crying out to God and he lands a plane and everybody lives and, and we're just sitting there. You, you realized for all of those guys, they weren't telling stories from a book. 
They were testifying of the, literally the hand of God on them through situations. So you know what I realized? We're going to be one of two people. We're either going to be the bystanders watching the Elijahs and watching the Pastor Denoffs and watching, you know, the walls of Jericho. Or we're going to be the ones going away. Man, that was awesome. So you got your choice. Which one do you want to be? But I'm telling you this, one of the blessings of commitment is you experiencing the greatness of our God. Here's blessing number two. Is experiencing the provision of our God. Experiencing God's provision. We studied this morning when he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And it's true. God said, man, when you put my priorities first and you're making the kingdom of heaven and souls and salvation, all those things. He said, all these things will be added unto you. You know what God was saying? I'll take care of you. And we know that that's the provision of God. But how God works is amazing. So I got this phone call and I think I told this Wednesday night, told Jen and everything. And I got, I, I got the phone call that I want to cruise. And I don't want to make everybody in this room jealous, okay? But I want to cruise. I was randomly selected to go to the Bahamas. And, and, and don't ask for the number because I'm VIP. You're never going to get a call like that, okay? So, so I won this cruise. And uh, I'm just sitting on the, on the phone. And Jordan's sitting there going, Dad, why are you still talking to them? And I said, Jordan, and I, I said, I want to hear the catch. I said, I, I know there's a catch. I just, I just curious to know what it is. And, you know, and I'm, I'm setting up for her and says, Sir, does all this sound exciting? And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, it's like, well, what's the catch? And they said, well, you do have to provide your own transportation, your flight. You do have to provide the port fees. And you will have to provide this fee. And once you get down there, there's this fee. And then you have that and all this other stuff. And the, the fees ended up being 900 and some dollars or whatever. And it's just a matter of we're going to take care of everything. But it's going to cost you a 1000 bucks. And I'm like wait a minute, that, that just doesn't add up. How is it a free cruise if I have to give you my credit card number? You, you know the thing is that God does? Where God guides, God provides. And that's not just fancy lingo and stories that pastors say from the pulpit. No, read through the stories of when God got somewhere to do something, God says, I've got this. Most of the time they showed up with nothing but faith and obedience you think about it. Every one of the stories, and I know I kind of touched on that last week when it talked about faith. When they were walking around Jericho, what did they have to do? What did they bring with them to drop down the walls? You know, sledgehammers and rocks and, you know, you know all these things trying to... No, they didn't, they didn't bring anything. You know why? Because God said, I will provide. I know that the, the blessings of God is as you follow God, the, you're going to experience the greatness of God. But I promise you this. As we read through these verses, I'm going to prove to you that you'll also experience the provision of God. That God, when he has you step out on faith, God takes care of you. Hebrews 11.23, same, same passage, same hall of faith uh, things of all these different people. It says, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now, I'll tell you, that's commitment. To sit there and tell your husband and your wife, and you're sitting there saying, Honey, if we keep this baby, that baby could die down the road, and we could die down the road. The command and all those things that were going on, they were going against it. 
But that commitment that they had to feeling like, man, this is what God wants us to do, so we're going to do it. That is commitment. You can imagine this mom's prayer. She's praying for God's protection, God's provision. God, I, I cannot give to this child that which it needs. And, and to put that baby in a, in a basket and to send it down and say, Lord, I'm just going to trust you to provide protection. And that baby just goes and goes and goes and lands at the, that, at the, 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 uh, the daughter of Pharaoh right there. And she takes it out and says, find me a Hebrew woman to raise this baby for my own. And they go right back to Moses' mother and put him right there and say, you're going to do this. And by the way, we're paying you. And by the way, you've got the protection. And you think about that. He said, well, that just happens. No, that's God. That is God. He said, well, I've never experienced anything like that. You know what the difference is? Commitment and faith in God's plan. When they said, I know without a shadow of a doubt that God's, going to, that God's calling us to do this. I know we're not to give our baby up. I know, I know that God is in this. And God says, you're right. And along the way, I'm going to protect all the way. Through this, verse 24, by faith, by faith Moses, when he was coming to here, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You know why? Because that wasn't his plan. God was using that situation to raise him up to be the leader. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Then God provides a way of escape. Then God provides to him a spouse. And in the giving him of a spouse, he has the father-in-law Jethro that gave him all the wisdom along the way to be able to keep things on track. The provision of God. Say, man, I'm going to do this alone. God gave him Aaron. God gave him Miriam. God gave him the, the miracles. God gave all these different things through the whole story. I think you guys are getting the point. Through the whole thing of him accepting the will of God when he said, Lord, I'll go. When he committed, God said, and I'll, I'll go, I'm going with you and I'm going to take care of you all along. God provides. Our church has been committed to doing the work of the Lord since the very beginning. Missions, outreach, discipleship, all these things. I can testify as pastor and so could Pastor Denoff before me that God has always provided for Fellowship Baptist Church. We've never not paid our bills. We've never, even in 9-11, when the economy fell out and offerings plummeted and everything else, Pastor Denoff would tell you, every, during that time, every bill was paid. You say, why is that? Because this does not belong to us. This belongs to God. When we're doing the work of God and we're following God and we're trusting God, God steps in to take care of it when there is no way for us to do it ourselves. Proverbs 28.20 says, A faithful man shall, shall abound with blessings. A faithful man shall abound with blessings. What a cool verse. God says, I take care of my people. So, when you commit... You experience the blessings of God's greatness. When you commit, you experience the blessings of God's provision. And last, when you commit, you experience the blessings of God's rewards. And I know some of you are saying, wait a minute, you're kind of, yeah, this, it kind of overlaps with the other one. But let me show you. Let me take you back to Hebrews eleven six. going up there. It's before we get into all these cool stories that we just read. He said, let me, let me just put it like this. 
He said, I'm talking about your faith and I'm going to give you a lot of stories right now about faith. And he said, what, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The rewarder in that verse, and I looked it up, it means to give away, to render, or reward. It means that God gives away rewards to those that diligently seek him. Now, as a dad, I understand this concept. There are some things that my kids can do that really bug me. And when, I, when they really bug me, the last thing that I want to do is reward them. When they're fighting, it drives me, Jenny can tell you, it, well, it bothers both of us, but when they're fighting and everything, it's, you know, one of the, the, the easiest things that I can tell my kids to do is to do nothing. To do, I mean, just, we're driving on the road, and I turn to them, and they're fighting, poking each other, putting their legs up, and, you know, taking each other, and I say, guys, here's the thing that I'm going to ask you to do, what you're really good at. Just do nothing. All you have to do is literally just sit there and not poke or jab or, or whatever, just sit there to yourself. And that drives me crazy. But I'll tell you, I see my kids sometimes come together in unity or helping their mom. Or I come home and I didn't have to tell them to do something or I didn't have to tell them to cut the grass or clean up or whatever. And I just come, and it's, come home and it's done. And I'm walking through there and I'm like, guys, this is, this is awesome. Man, I, I can't believe this is, man, inside of a father's heart, and I know Jenny feels the same way as a mom, when the kids step up, there's certain things and you say, man, this pleases me. You know what the, the desire of a dad or a mom or whoever, when they see their children do those things, it's an inward desire to want to reward. And I, I believe that has come from God of saying, I love you, please me with what you did. You please me. I love this. God is a God that loves to let his children know that he is pleased with what they're doing. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That diligently seek him at the end of that is those that passionately pursue. Actually, I wrote those up. Those that search out, it means to crave or seek after. And God said, I'm a rewarder. When I see a church or a family ministry, life group, or whatever, sit there and say, Lord, we want, and they go after it. God says, man, I love that. He said, actually, I love it so much, I reward that. I think the rewards of God are, are here. I really do. But I believe that the true rewards of God are when we get home. And I, I look at the Bible of what it says of experiencing the goodness of God and the greatness of God, and then on top of that, we get the promise of heaven, and I'm gonna, I'm, I want you guys to think, because some of these things we've talked about, we've known so long as Christians, that we don't stop to think why or how or whatever. And that is the subject of rewards when we get home to heaven. Why? And I'm thinking, number one, Lord, what I did compared to what you did is nothing. The other thing that I've thought of, isn't heaven a reward enough? I, I mean, you think about, well done, welcome into the joy of the Lord, and there's no more pain and no more suffering and no more death and no more trials and no more contacts and no more hair loss and all those things that we deal with. It's, there's no more of that. It's heaven. But God starts heaven off with the Bema seat or the judgment seat. And a lot of people misunderstand this. And guys, I don't have time to go into it. We have gone into this before. When you stand before God and somebody comes up to you and says, you're going to stand before God for that, 
You do not stand in judgment of anything when it comes to your sin when you stand before God. You say, how is that possible? He's already paid for it. There's nothing to throw up to us because it's all under the blood. And a lot of people misunderstand this concept when he said there is now no condemnation to them that are saved. There's no condemnation. So to sit there and say, when you get to heaven, you're going to stand before God. You're going to answer for that. All these other things that I'm thinking, where are you getting that? You don't understand. That's impossible because everything that he did, it's stamped paid in full. Let, let's say there was a trial like people there. And I'm standing there before God and says, is it true, son, that you had an opportunity to give to God and you didn't do it? You know what I do? I'd hold up a, the blood of Jesus Christ and say, paid in full. Satan is paid in full. But, I, but I'm telling you, that, that can't happen. It's not going to happen. Where people get off on this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Now here's the thing that we've got to understand. We've got to dig deeper into the language of what we're studying. You know, there's, there's a verse in the Old Testament. I tell, I tell people all the time, don't misunderstand when that. And it says, our Lord is a terrible God. Now, I'm telling you, if you, you, you take that for face value, people are like, I don't want that God in my life. He's terrible. It's not what it means. And there's different passages. The word bad does mean bad in a sense, but this word bad means empty. It means void. It means waste. It means worthless. And I can prove this to you. The Bible talks about that all of our works that we have done here on the earth are going to be tried in the fire. Okay, everything that we've done. And the Bible talks about the wood, hay, and stubble and those things that we did trivial of. Man, we, we did a lot of things on the earth that were done for ourself or self-edification, whatever it is. God says, all right, let's take that. You throw it in the fire and says, man, you did that for the applause of man. It's burnt up. It's gone. Man, you, you did that for your own self. And you, you did that for a tax refund or whatever. And it was never about the glory of God. God says those things are tried in the fire. But at the end of it, the Bema seat that we stand before God was this visual of God rewarding. That word Bema seat is the same thing as they used to use in the Olympics or, or back there in the games that they used to do and even carried over to where they'd have the pedestals and they would carry them up and recognize them. At that point is when we receive the crowns for what we have done. Not judged, but rewarded. And he weighs out the good or the bad saying that was wasted, that was good, or you did these things. But I thought about this. Why would God take all that time and all the effort in Scripture to walk up to me and give me a crown and say, Tony, thank you? Blows my mind. They say, well, it's kind of a waste anyways, because what are we going to do with it? We're going to cast it back at the feet of Jesus anyways. But you know what it is? It is a visual. It is an outpouring. Of a dad, like for me to sit there and say, well, your kids live in your house and they should be cutting the grass and they should be obeying you anyways and they should, they should this. I say, yes, but I love those kids. And I go up and I give them ice cream. And you say, well, they already got dinner. That's true. I'm going to give them ice cream or I'm going to take them out. I'm going to do something special for them because I want them to know that what they did for me pleased me as their father. 
And when God talks about the things that he does in Scripture and saying that he is a rewarder of them, it is God pouring out to you and saying, you made me happy. That should be the motivation of why we give and why we do and why we serve and why we go. Because what a greater honor and privilege in this life than to please him who hath called us to be a soldier of the cross and an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to go through all of them, but let me touch on this. The Bible talks about a crown for leadership. There's a crown for those that suffer, endure, and temptation in James 1.12. And a crown for winning souls. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 For what is our hope, or our joy, or our crown of rejoicing? Are not even in the presence of our Lord Christ of His coming. And talking about those rejoice in heaven over those that come to know Christ. That, that, that crown of rejoicing. Your labor's not in vain. And God's line us up and God gives us all these blessings. And at the end of it, when we're well done, thou good and faithful servant, God says, you know what, son? Or in my case, I pray with all my heart for me to be able to kneel before my Lord and Savior and says, you know what? You gave your life for that which wasn't waste. You gave it for that which mattered. And give me those crowns that I can cast at the feet of Jesus and praise him for all eternity. So you know what? There are tremendous, tremendous blessings. And we could go on and on. Guys, I, I didn't even touch it. But I do believe as we set forward and we commit and we trust and, and all these things, that you're going to experience the greatness of God. It might not be the walls of Jericho falling and you know, the Red Sea splitting, but you, you'll experience it on your own level. You're going to experience the provision of God, and I promise you, as we move forward, as we commit to God, God's going to say, watch what I can do And God says, I I can do it so much better than you ever could do. God can do more through his provision than we could through two, three extra jobs working on the side. And then I do believe that we're going to receive the rewards of what God has given us here on this earth and especially in heaven when he says to us, well done.